would have had an awareness of what was going to transpire this morning in Florida, I would have not chosen as the key scripture 1 Corinthians 13, 13, which reads, And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. As wonderful as that that sentence is, I think I would have rather chosen Song of Solomon 8.7, which reads, Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. And I think, as we're all aware, we have many brothers and sisters who are perhaps unknown to us, who are suffering greatly. And I think it would be well for us just to pause for a few moments and, and each of us just in his own way pray for what's transpiring there in the state of Florida and the surrounding circumstance and what has already happened even in Cuba. Even in Cuba. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for what your word says, that many waters cannot quench love, nor the floods drown it. And we just pray for our brothers and sisters and in those southern regions, in Texas, who has already suffered this buffeting, and now in Florida. Grant to them, we pray, your grace to show love among themselves. And we pray that as fellow members of the same body, the body of Christ, we might in our own way demonstrate our love toward them. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Um, I'm thinking, and I hope I'm not too brash and bold to state this, but there is a White House correspondent who has documented the tragedies, many of the tragedies, and the evils that have overtaken us as a nation in connection with how our nation has related itself to the nation of Israel. And let me just say to you this morning that there is a general, and I'm not going to name him if you need the information and so forth, who's got a hair up his nose, he's in a very high place, in a very prominent position, that uh, President Trump chose and he's got a hair up his nose with regard to Israel. And among other things, he has fired six generals that were deeply sympathetic to the nation of Israel. And I'm just wondering, I'm not trying to connect the dots, but I'm just wondering. I just wonder what Bill Keogh would say, that White House correspondent, in regard to this. But our task at hand is to demonstrate and show love wherever we can. Uh, open your Bible, will you please, 
and follow along. I'm going to, if we don't do anything else, we need to read this chapter. And I would invite you to follow along um, as we look into this. Actually, this chapter starts back in chapter 12, in verse 31. But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But that when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. But then shall I know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. And God has his blessing to this very holy and very precious passage of scripture. This is one of the few times that I have ever spoken that I've been (laughs) overprepared. Jim laughs. I told him, you know, I think I think I was low on that figure. I said, I can't figure. I got to figure out how to shrink down about 80 hours worth of material into 40 minutes, and I think it's more than 80 hours. I've got a sheaf of material that I've worked on about this thick on uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and and much more on chapters 12 uh, and uh, and 14 along with 13. Um, but it, let me let me do this to start with. Let me pass out a little. Uh, uh, this is a, 
outline of, of the chapter. And we'll begin. Um, let me read you something first by um, G. Campbell Morgan. How many of you know who G. Campbell Morgan is? Are you familiar with G. Campbell Morgan? Okay. A great Bible expositor and teacher. And in his commentary on the Corinthian epistles, he writes, writes this with regard to um, this chapter. He says, the chapter is characterized by poetic beauty. Did you feel that as we read it? And scientific analysis. One is almost reluctant to deal with it by way of analysis. It seems also irreverent to analyze it. Many will remember that classic little brochure on this chapter written by Henry Drummond, The Greatest Thing in the World. How many of you are familiar with that little booklet? That's available in Kindle for a pittance of, of the cost. A, a masterful work. It, it is said that Dwight L. Moody carried a copy of that little booklet in his vest pocket with him wherever he went. Another great work on this uh, chapter is by W. Graham Scroggy. Anybody heard of Scroggy? Okay, some of you have. Uh, great Bible teacher of yesteryear. And Scroggy, in his book, The Love Life, uh, has some wonderful things. And I'm going to share something with you here in just a moment regarding it from him. Um, that's also available in Kindle. How many of you Kindle use Kindle? Any of you? Okay, a few of you. Uh, great resource. Many, many fine, fine Christian works out there. I have too many. <laughs> but uh, my old adage was, wear the old coat and buy the new book. <laughs> now it's electronic. and I still buy hardbacks. I, I bought a hardback copy of uh, Scroggie's. The Love Life the other day, all the way from England. But going on here <coughs> with what uh, Morgan writes, he says, Then comes this sense of difficulty. I have read the whole chapter over and over again myself alone. It is full of beauty and yet marvelous in technique. One is almost reluctant to tear it to pieces. Seeking to see it. I have often used an old figure of speech to deal with this subject of analyzing. That is, that it is very much like the study of botany. I am thankful that in my youth I took a course in botany. I am no great botanist, but I remember the fascination of it all. But I had the feeling that when I that when we hunted amid the Butterworth nestling there, I'm not sure what a Butterworth is, but uh, some type of a flower. Uh, my my wife used to tease me about my illiteracy with regard to botany and flowers and so forth. But I remember the fascination of it all. But I had the feeling that when we hunted when we had to tear it to pieces to see its beauties. But we, could, uh, but we could never put it together again. To pick a flower to pieces is to kill it. To deal with this chapter from the standpoint of examination and analysis is like botanizing. Only the one great comfort is if I took a flower and pulled it to pieces, petal by petal, and peered into its hidden beauties, I could never put it together again 
But if we analyze the chapter, the chapter will be there when we have finished. And we cannot do any real violence to it. So we look at it in that way. And that's one way I looked at it. I, I had most of the the substance of those many pages of notes have to do with the middle section with the uh, qualities of love. How love makes life's relationships more beautiful. But um, when we come to the chapter and examine it, we should examine it first in its overall context. Now, the book of Corinthians is a 3D book. And I don't mean dimensional, 3D dimensional. But it's composed of three major areas that all start with D. The first four chapters have to do with what? Somebody said it. The first four chapters? Divisions. Divisions in the church. And then we had in chapters 5 and 6, disorders among the church. And then in chapters 7 on to the end for the most part, difficulties that the Corinthians were having with regard to the church. Starts with chapter 7. Wonderful chapter, chapter 7. I'm going to go down a bunny trail, Greg, (laughs) here just for a minute. The greatest message I ever heard on chapter 7 was by Dr. Charles Ryrie. And he had a beautiful outline of chapter 7. And I'm just going to give it to you here. He answers three questions in this chapter. First, is marriage important? And he answers that by saying, yes, it is. And the second part of the chapter, is marriage permanent? And he answers and says, yes, it is. And explains it there too. And finally, he comes to the latter part of the chapter and he asks, answers the question, is marriage paramount? And he says the answer is, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. And that just unlocks the whole chapter for me. But we go on. And chapters 12 through 14 have to do with, uh, well, look at chapter 12. Look at chapter 12, and uh, you can see this phrase, now concerning. This is, a, this is a, a frequent construction in the book that introduces sections that have to do with the questions that the Corinthians had for him. Uh, and they had some questions concerning... And we read this now concerning spiritual gifts. How many of you have a translation that shows that gifts is in italics? Okay. In other words, the word is not there. It's supplied to make sense. In fact, some have understood this to be uh, and have rendered it in paraphrase now concerning spiritual matters or matters pertaining to the Holy Spirit and certainly uh, we can't divorce this chapter uh, from that um, so he introduces this and this in the 13th chapter is right in between 12 and 14 now Scroggy says this with regard uh, to this. He says chapters 12, 13, and 14 of this epistle form a distinct division of it and treat of the subject of spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 tells of the rich endowment of the gifts. Chapter 13 tells of their vital energy and chapter 14, their worthy exercise. Thus, between the endowment and chapter 12, 
And the exercise in chapter 14 is place this sublime song, revealing that love alone can safeguard the use in chapter 14 of that which is bestowed in chapter 12. He adds this cogent point. It has been pointed out that on each side of this chapter, chapter 13, the tumult of argument and remonstrance still rages. Boy, that's that's true with regard to uh, this section of 1 Corinthians. One of the greatest problems in dealing with the Word of God is when we come to it as much as possible, relying upon the Spirit to do this, that we leave our preconceptions and our prejudices and our built-in ideas behind and carefully extract what is before us. Now, not to plow ground that Don already covered last week in chapter 12, uh, I want us to look at a few things here in uh, the beginning of chapter 12. So if you look back with me to chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. (coughs) The implication was that what? Pardon? They were. (laughs) To a very great deal. Especially in how they were applying them. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. (coughs) You see, in uh, hey, could somebody get me a little cup of hot water back there? Um, I'd appreciate it. I'm not used to this projecting. And now, Corinth was a uh, a religious. religious center, and Diana, the goddess Diana, was uh, very much uh, (coughs) involved among the populace. Thank you. (coughs) And (coughs) in the worship, The worshipers oftentimes were given to ecstatic utterances. It was part and parcel of the worship. And this is the background of what he's talking about and what he's referring to. You were carried away to these dumb idols. And it's very much possible and that they brought the trappings of that worship and that approach to things into their Christian experience. However you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord by the same Spirit. Now look carefully at verses 4, 5, and 6. In verse 4 he says, There are diversities of what? Gifts. But the same what? Verse 5, there are differences of what? Ministries or services. But the same who? Lord. And in verse 6 he says, And there are diversities of activities. But it's the same God who works all in all. Diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. What do we see as with regard to the operating agents of verses 4 through 6? Can you see why 
these four, these three verses, four through six, are used as a evidence for what? For what doctrine? Right, the Trinity. Because in verse four we have the Spirit referred to, and there are difference of ministries, but the same Lord referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. It's felt that this is a reference to God the Father. So we have gifts, and then we have what? Ministries. Ministries, and we have activities. Now let me just talk to you just for a moment about activities. This could be rendered results or um, effects. Energema, the word, is a uh, is a ma ending noun, and that uh, usually refers to the result of an action or an effect of an action. And I think that that's what we have here. There are differences of results or activities. Now, I think it's very important for us as we go through the lists of the spiritual gifts that we apply these three different terms and ask ourselves, is this a list of gifts? Is it a list of ministries? Or is it a a, a a list of results. Now I've done this with the four lists of gifts and my conclusion is this among other things that tongues is not a spiritual gift. In fact there are only seven spiritual gifts and those are found where? Got any ideas where the list of spiritual gifts occur? Well, try Romans 12. I'm going to skip over there just for a moment. And uh, I can now. Let's start, I'm going to start reading at verse 4. He says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches, in teaching. He who exhorts, in exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. He who leads, with diligence. He, he who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. Very plainly, this is referring to spiritual gifts. And it's so stated. Leslie B. Flynn has written a book entitled The 19 Gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what he's done is he's taken these uh, lists of spiritual, uh, these lists, two of them here in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, (coughs) the ones here in Romans. And, uh, and and then the one over in um, Ephesians, and then a, a vague reference in uh, the Peter, Petrine epistles. So he's he's gone through and he's kind of let, listed them out. And uh, some time ago, in fact, I I did this until I finally came to my set my spiritual senses. We go through and examine each one of these 
of the lists, of the different lists. And then I begin to uh, pay attention to that distinction that is made in, um, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Now let me, let me give you a little idea how this works. Think of a column over here and think of this as the column of gifts. And then over in the next column, you have ministries. In the final column, you have results or effects. Now, is the Holy Spirit Jesus? No. <laughs> in other words, there's a difference between these. Uh, there are spiritual gifts, and I think they're in chapter 12 of Romans. And then there are ministries. You may have a spiritual gift, but you'll exercise it through a, a ministry. And there are different ministries. And I think that the one list, uh, we, have to, we have to ascertain what these other lists are. The, the two in uh in First uh, Corinthians 12. In other words, you have a gift and you will use it through a ministry. <coughs> now, and then what happens? So you use the spirit, you have a spiritual gift, you use it through a ministry and the ministry may differ at different times and different occasions. And then, as you use that, there's, there's an effect or a result that takes place. That's the, diver, the, the diverse, uh, diverse uh, part that we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 6. And there are diversities of results or consequences. That takes place in li lives outside of yourself. Now, I'm using a spiritual gift and I'm using it through a ministry right now and there are going to be all different kind of different uh, effects and results um, that are taking place and that children in the back row or back there are, they're, they're all concerned about when will he get through? <laughs> but uh, different effects different results and different consequences. There are these differences. Now, let's go over with that in mind. Now, I, I would challenge you to, to think about this in that regard. And uh, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not saying this is absolutely the way you have to see it. But um, I, I have visited uh, this section of Corinthians on uh, three different occasions prior to this morning in depth. And uh, this is uh, on, on the fourth or, or along the way I, uh, after the earlier visitations. And in my notes, it's interesting that uh, there are at least three different typewriters <laughs> that I have used along the way. But uh, this is something that is, uh, that is new to me, uh, or most recent to me. I, uh, I think this is, uh, this is important. But we come over to um, chapter 13. Let's get to where we're supposed to be and get going. Um, he says here in chapter 13, let me get down here. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, 
and have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Is he talking about spiritual gifts here? The spiritual gift? Well, I don't think that the tongues refer, that is being referred to here is necessarily a uh, ministry of tongues. I think it's uh, it's just talking about uh, oral speech. And you've all heard people uh, through the years that uh, um, and have felt, boy, he can really preach or he can really teach. And you've probably been touched in a mighty way by people like this. And, and I think that what he's saying is that if you had all of the talents and the abilities of heavenly and earthly languages and you don't have love, you're like a uh, a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And those were both implements that were used in Corinthian worship, uh, in, in false worship. So if, if, if you had all of these abilities... And didn't have love. Noise is what it is. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So, this love makes life's gifts profitable in verses 1 through 3. Love is essential, and it shows us in this section its superiority and necessity, the preeminence of love and the value of love. What is love more necessary than in verse 1? Excellence of speech. Yeah, tongues of men. In verse 2, what is, what is love more necessary than? Prophecy. And so forth on down through verse 3. Love is more necessary than tongues, prophecy, knowledge, faith, property, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and even bodily life, devotion of your person. Can you think of anybody in the Old Testament that gave their body to be burned? Pardon? There was three of them. Who? Yeah, that's their Babylonian names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how we know them as. They gave their bodies to be burned. Go back and read it. Now, there is a sense in which he... Um, he, he lays this out in such a way that uh, uh, there, there's a growth through the chapter, so to speak. And uh, even if we, we see that as, as the assertion is that um, this is more necessary, that love is more necessary than all of these abilities or, or uh, that which so often a, a premium of importance is placed upon. Now he comes down to the section in uh, verses uh, 4 through 7. And he says that love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. 
It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What a mouthful. How many characteristics are enumerated here? There's 14 altogether. And these are all verbs. So what's the significance of verb? A verb is what? Action. Action. Describes action. So love is an action. And these are different aspects of the activities of love. Scraggy has said this with regard to uh, these characteristics. He says, love uh, of these 14, number one, love is not hasty, but patient. Two, love is not inconsiderate, but benevolent. Love is not envious, but content. Love is not boastful, but unostentatious. Love is not arrogant, but humble. Love is not rude, but courteous. Love is not selfish, but self-forgetful. Love is not irritable, but good-tempered. Love is not vindicative, but generous. Love is not malevolent, but high-principled. Love is not rebellious, but brave. Love is not suspicious, but confident. Love is not despondent, but undiscourageable. Love is uh, not conquerable, but indomitable. So those 14 characteristics as he lays them out here. Now I, I have taken the petal on the flower apart in detail in regard to these characteristics. And um, you don't have to go very far into the uh, enumeration of them before um, you uh, you feel convicted. <laughs> I certainly do. One of the uh, beautiful paraphrases of the New Testament was written a number of years ago. It's been surpassed now by... Uh, the Living Bible, but I, I find it far more satisfactory. And that's the uh, paraphrase by J.B. Phillips. How many of you are familiar with that paraphrase? Okay. Some of you, you may want to take a look at this. It's online as well. You can look at it online. And I'm going to read you just what he has here on, um, on this section. This love of which I speak is slow to lose patience. It looks for a way of being constructive. It is not possessive. It is neither anxious to impress nor does it cherish inflated ideas of its own importance. The, uh, the, the idea of uh, cherished inflated ideas of its uh, own importance uh, is rendered uh, uh, is not puffed up somebody has said that the earth is strewn with the bladders of the puffed up and uh, not so with regard to love love has good manners and does not pursue selfish advantage it is not touchy it does not keep account of evil or gloat over the wickedness of other people Somebody has rendered that. Love keeps no score of wrongs done to it. On the contrary, it is glad with all good men when truth prevails. Love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. It is, in fact, the one thing that still stands when all else is fallen. I, uh, when I was working on this, uh, this section of 
um, of this chapter, I endeavored to go back into the Old Testament, the Greek Old Testament, and to find occurrences of each one of the Greek words, and then try to find a character in the Old Testament that exhibited uh, these qualities. We don't have time to get into that this morning, uh, but uh, you can plumb the depths of this thing and uh, not re- come near to reaching its bottom. In this section, we see that love makes life's relationships beautiful. Love is effective. It's superfluity and evidences the power of love and the virtues of love in this section. Um, You know, just if you, you just read through or memorized uh, in your favorite version or translation, this section, uh, that's all you would need to do. Uh, you wouldn't have to dig into it the way that I have, even though it has been very helpful. But um, it uh, meditate on the Word of God. Meditation. It's the one thing that um, is given, that activity uh, is, if we put it into our lives, in Joshua 1.8, it says that um, that way we will have good success and prosper. Um, Great passage and apologetic for meditation. And this section just, uh, the whole chapter just um, is a powerful influence in that regard. Well, we need to uh, look here at the last section. Love makes life contributions eternal. Love is eternal. It's what's shown to us in 13.8 through 13 is love is eternal, it's supremacy and endurance. The permanency of love and the victory of love. So let's uh, come back here. And starting at verse 8, he says, um, Love never fails. That is in the sense it never falls down. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail or be rendered inoperative. In what, in what circumstance is a prophecy rendered inoperative? When it's fulfilled, if it's a, if it's a future prophecy. Um, whether there are tongues, they will cease. And the um, mood of this word for cease actually is they'll cease of themselves. So that's a flat assertion. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. What is the stated purpose for tongues according to this section 12 through 14? Tongues are a sign for unbelieving Jews. And that's what tongues primarily was for. And that's stated all uh, Isaiah chapter 28. And uh, a case could be made that um, that is involved in the cessation of tongues. Whether there is knowledge it will vanish away or be rendered inoperative. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now a great question has arisen as to what is the perfect here. 
And there are some that feel that, uh, the, that the perfect refers to the uh, coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, either when we go to be with him or he comes for us uh, at his parousia, or his second coming even. <coughs> then that which is perfect in part will be done away. There are others who feel that the perfect it might be. Any other ideas? Completion of the Bible. Pardon? The completion of the Bible. The completion of the Bible, or the finishing. What do we call that? Um, the canon of scripture. Yeah, the canon of scripture. Uh, just remember this: that uh, that the canon is not the. Uh, and let's not get into that. that uh, but can you go back and visualize what it was like in the early church? Now, all of you have something in common here this morning. And what is it? You're holding it in your hands. Where would you be without it? Mm-hmm. You ever thought about that? The early church, what did they have? Just the Old Testament. Just the Old Testament. So how did this all get... What, what, what was the church, according to Ephesians, built upon? The foundation of... Prophets and apostles. The apostles and the, and the prophets. The prophets were those who declared revelations from God, New Testament revelations... And they were, and the spirit of the prophets was subject to the prophets as well. But the apostolic teaching was what was held in the highest regard. And that's what the early church had at the beginning. And until those writings were codified and disseminated, um, there was a transition. There, there were things that took place in the early church that... Uh, because of the uh, the lack of and, and, and until the dissemination of the canon, uh, the canonical scriptures that um, there were, and there even after they were disseminated, there was a lot of craziness that went on. <laughs> Montanism um, and, and so forth. Um, I've got a chart here. I'm not going to pass this out because we don't have time to go over it and, and uh, it might lead you to some... Con- I would hope that it would uh, challenge you, but uh, anyway. There are some amazing scriptures in connection with the love that was spoken of in Romans 5 1 through 6 it says therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God and that and not only that but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Again, many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. The fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such 
there is no law. You know, the first two quality, character qualities of love in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love suffereth long and is kind. Those two character qualities are mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and then long-suffering. So the relationship of the Holy Spirit in regard to... I, I can't do this. I can't practice and demonstrate this. It, it, it's, it's a segment of Scripture that is just uh, shows us where we need to be. It demonstrates to us the character of God himself. If you want to study a life that demonstrates it, it's the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. That passage of scripture that Don read this morning. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Sounds like 1 Corinthians 12. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart. There's a beautiful poem that uh, George Herbert wrote. He lived in between 1593 and 1633. And it goes like this. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here, Love said, You shall be he. I, the ungrateful? Ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply. Did reply. Who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this magnificent section of your splendid word in all of its parts. And we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ken. What the world sees as intolerance and hatred, in terms of the gospel message, doesn't change the fact that the message is a message of love to save sinners from certain destruction. That is the message that all of us have within our hearts and are commanded to speak. I love to tell the story. I love to tell a story of